Welcome to church. It's my privilege to say this. We are a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. Amen? We're a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. So how do we do that here? Well, that's what this sermon series is all about. Last week, Andrew talked to us very, very well about the command to gather, the importance of gathering. Today, we're going to take a look at the second of the four cornerstones. Pastor Andrew calls them the core four, which is to grow, to gather and to grow. And we're going to get into Scripture, but before we do that, is there anybody that'd like to have a Bible? We've got ushers here with Bibles at the ready. All you need to do is raise your hand. If you've got your Bible with you, turn to the second chapter of Acts. This, if you were here last week, you'll recognize this as the foundation Scripture for not only last week's uh, first part of this sermon series, but it forms the foundation for the entire series. Go to verse 42, chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Fifth book in the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 42. I know it's Sunday, but hey, if you're, you know, thinking at all, you might be asking yourself this question. So, we need to grow, huh, Palmer? Not the kind of question you're probably going to ask out loud, but maybe what you're hearing in your heart. I know for a long time, I didn't see the reason to grow. In fact, I asked the question, why can't I take my ticket to heaven, the one I got when I was saved? and simply live the way I want to until the day I die, and then I'm going to go with Jesus? It's a good question. Deserves an equally good answer. Some of you might not be thinking that so much as, uh, what, what are you talking about here? What, what is grow? What, what, what do you describe as growth? Some of you might also be thinking, so when is this supposed to happen, or where is this all supposed to happen? I'm praying right now as I'm speaking to you, I'm praying that I'll be able to shed some more light on that. I'm not going to answer that to everybody's satisfaction all the time. But we'll hopefully have a, a start. We'll start with Scripture. I'd like to have you read that with me. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, devoted themselves to fellowship, devoted themselves to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and devoted themselves to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those 
who were being saved. This book is written by the same author, human author, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Dr. Luke, who was a physician, he was a, a man that, pre, uh, that prized precision, that um, uh, prized accurate information. And in fact, uh, most of the really accurate information we have in the New Testament comes from Dr. Luke. So when this man writes down uh, a description of what's going on in this body of believers called the church, when, when he lays this down in such a way that it's clear that this is a prototype, this is an example, this is something that we should take a hard look at and we need to imitate. Well, what I've done is arbitrarily tried to divide this into two categories so that we'll be able to understand this a little bit better in a short period of time. And <clears throat> the first thing that I'd like to address is we are to grow. The answer to the question, are we to grow, is yes, we are to grow. And we can call that growth one of two things, and this is what I'm going to address first, and that is we are to grow, church, together with God. And there are four things that Dr. Luke lists here as activities in this example of a godly church. And it begins with, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, which means they're to learn about God. But we are not to stop there. You will hear me come back to this again and again. Knowing about God is not enough. It is merely the first step to the final goal, which is to know God. Let me give you an example. Uh, how many of you have been on a date in your life? Have you ever? Anybody in the first row? I mean, you guys are dateless? Oh, man. My heart goes out to you guys. Now, when you went on your date, that first date, tell me, did you give your date a little book? And on the cover it said, My Life by Me. And say, here, you want to you wanna get to know me? Here, read my book. You're laughing because it, that is silly. The date is how you get to know someone. The date is how you build a relationship. The first date's the first step. We would never think that we're going to learn to know someone by reading a book about them. That's important. Reading your Bible is extremely important. But we fool ourselves, church, into thinking that that's the first and the final step well, you're half right. The final goal is to go beyond knowing about him and to know him. I know about Mother Teresa. Anybody here know about Mother Teresa? Yeah. How many, anybody here know Mother Teresa or knew her before she died? See, I didn't think so. I know about Billy Graham. Do you know about Billy Graham? Where did you learn about Billy Graham, ask yourself? Does anybody here know Billy? Didn't think so. Here's the question. How many of you know about Jesus? Now, ask yourself in the privacy of your own heart, how many of you know Jesus? See, that's our goal. The second thing that Dr. Luke lists here, and it's at the end of verse 42, it's prayer. 
prayer is the umbilical cord that connects us to God. We are physical beings and we are spiritual beings. The Bible says that we are, that, that He is a spirit. We are to have that umbilical cord, that spiritual umbilical cord, that lifeline to God through prayer. We are to pray frequently. You'll find scripture that says pray continuously. And we not only are to pray fervently, we are to pray frequently. How many, how many uh, times do you go to God in prayer when you're in deep trouble? Every time. Do you think God wants you to come to him when you're in deep trouble? Of course. Do you think God wants you to come to him only when you're in deep trouble? He wants you to share your life with him. Be in contact with him through prayer in the victorious times, in the great times, not just when you're in deep trouble, and all of the times in between. Prayer is part of growth in your relationship with God. The third one is to grow in worship. Jesus said to the woman at the well, and I think Andrew said that either last week or the week before, that we are to worship in truth and in spirit. What does that mean? Well, I see you're all sitting here. Most of you are awake yet. I noticed that you walked in, used your feet and your legs. I notice you're using your mouth a lot in the hallway. You come on in, you sit down, you all stood up about the same time. It was very impressive. And then toward the end, you all sat down together. Even more impressive. So you're using your feet, your hands, your legs, your arms, your eyes, your ears. I'm using my big mouth right now. We are using our physical self to worship Jesus. But Jesus says, you can do all of those things. You can go through ceremonies and you can carry out rituals and you can say certain things over and over and over again with your body, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that that is true worship. Because unless your hands and feet and your arms, your eyes, your ears, and your mouth are led by your heart, by your spirit, the one that truly loves and is grateful to a living God, then that's not true worship. And all of this needs to be done based upon the truth of who God is. You know how many wacky ideas that are out there about who God is, how God works, what God will do, what God won't do? Do you know how many equally wacky ideas there are describing Jesus? Cults are filled with new definitions of who Jesus is. Some of them sprinkle a little bit of this with it. But that's not the truth. There's only one source in planet Earth for that truth that's in print, and that's the Bible. And you base your worship on the truth of who God is. And we know that God is everywhere, and I'm right here just for a little while, by the way. We know that God is, knows everything, and what I know is like throwing a BB in a boxcar. And we know that God is all-powerful. And I don't care who you are in this room. Compared to God, you are puny. When you start to realize who God is and who you are, and you start to realize your relationship to God who made you and everything around you, the entire universe, there's truth that should have you, if at least figuratively, if not physically, fall on your knees 
and worship Him and give Him the glory, give Him the honor, give Him the praise, give Him the credit, give Him the gratitude. That's worship based on truth from your spirit. The fourth one is communion. I, I think about communion. Uh, it has so many ways to, to describe the benefits of communion, but the one that I think of the most, it's like a vow renewal, you know? When, when you have a wedding, wedding vow renewal, which I did in my 25th anniversary. Um, you see, when, when a believer comes to Jesus, you make a commitment to Jesus. But you're still living in a crappy world. And bad things happen to good people. And you can easily get discouraged. You can easily, easily become depressed. You can get angry. All kinds of reactions. Jesus knows this, and he knows that you need to periodically renew your commitment to him. You need to take some time, and you need to remember with the cup whose blood it was that saved you. Yours? No. His? Yes. You need to remember the body. Who saved you? Yours? No. His? Yes. You need to renew that gratitude. You need to rededicate your spirit to a life that's pleasing to Jesus because, after all, he owns you. These are the four things that Dr. Luke lays out that really coincide to growing a relationship with God. And each of us needs to be in that arena, that experience, that process, that kind of growth. But there's also another kind of growth that Dr. Luke is, is referring to here. And I simply call it, you know, growth as we grow with one another or with each other, a kind of horizontal aspect to your growth. You go vertically with God, but you need to grow horizontally in relationship to one another. And again, he lays out four aspects that we really need to seriously consider. The first one is very much like the first one of our growth with God himself, and that is by learning to understand God's word so we can come to know God personally. But we need to learn together. We need to learn with one another. We need to learn from one another. And I ask you, how can we learn from one another if we never gather? We're also to grow in our relationships with one another. This is found in verses 42 and 47. These are scenarios. These are descriptions of where those believers get together to do stuff. They're building relationships. And you know what I would say? That the model for us given here as to how to build our relationship with God is exactly the same model to learn to build relationships with one another. We need to start by learning about one another, but we can't stop there. We need to move on, and we need to actually learn to know one another. That's, that's a privilege, and it's a real challenge in our church because I don't know if you realize this, but we've got, we've got a lot of new people that are being drawn here by Jesus. The third thing to help you and me grow together is to share, to share everything. Sharing is referred to in verse 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, and 47. 
It even uses the word share or sharing, or it infers sharing. You saw those pictures from Houston. Those people, my heart goes out to them. Those people would probably, without any hesitation, say that they have lost everything, quote-unquote, lost everything. As terrible and as tragic as that truly is, we can say the same thing. We forget that we're in the same situation. What do you truly own as a Christian, as a believer in Christ Jesus? Do you own anything? Do you even own yourself? Nothing is owned by us. Everything is given to us as a blessing from God. My body is on loan from God. My home, possessions, my spiritual gifts are on loan to me from God. He gives them and it pleases him when I excitedly accept them and eagerly turn around and want to start sharing them with other people. All of this, building relationships, learning together with one another, from one another, sharing who we are and what we have, is done within a total context, a world, an environment, a culture that Dr. Luke describes as one of goodwill. Country Bible Church is a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. That will happen only in a culture, something that pervades from here to there, from here to there, from here to there a culture that we all create. I'm not responsible for it as pastor of Equip. Andrew is not responsible as senior pastor. No staff member is more responsible than any other, and no one as a member of this body is less responsible. This is something for all of us to happily view as the opportunity that it is to build a culture of goodwill, where in this environment we can all grow. And I ask you again, how can we learn? How can we build relationships? How can we share unless we gather? And you know what I get excited about most is the end of this scripture. Because we leave Dr. Luke's example of Christians on planet earth carrying out and creating a culture that's pleasing to God and we zoom up to heaven and we hear what God the Father has to say about this and what God the Father has to say about this could be summed up as three words he blesses this because what did he do he added to their numbers it's as if God is saying this is what I'm talking this is what I'm, I'm talking. I'm going to draw more people to this. This is where my people can grow. 
And I don't, I don't know if you realize that, but we're growing. There's more and more people here that I don't know, and it really excites me and scares me at the same time. I don't think that that's random accident. I really do not think that that's just a happy accident. That is the result of obedience, of becoming a church pleasing to God. And as I studied this scripture, I started to realize we are on the right track, and there's a reason why we have been blessed by added numbers. At my church, God wants us to grow. And he wants us to grow together so that we don't grow apart. So where does all this take place? Where can growth for you take place? We have many opportunities for you to grow. Starting on Mondays, 6.30, Fellowship Hall, small life group called Truth Seekers, where we try to carry out and are doing so that those things listed in Acts 2. Pastor Glenn, pastor of congregational care, frequently offers discovery sessions on Bible study on Mondays. Even more often, he offers sessions on marriage, whether it's before you get married or after you're married. Tuesday mornings, we have men's Bible study, 6.30 a.m., where we have retired men and working men come together crack that Bible, wrestle with those truths, learn with one another, learn from one another. Oh, by the way, remember, Tuesday morning, special breakfast. You're all invited men. Bring your appetite. Every other Tuesday morning here at Country Bible Church is Mothers of Preschoolers, M-O-P-S, called MOPS. These are young ladies in a certain stage of life where they've got young children Frankly, it's easy for them to feel isolated, alone, even abandoned and forgotten. They come and they crave, crave adult conversation, crave adult interaction, crave the perspective of other moms. They come together, they build strong relationships, they learn together, they pray together. The Lord is blessing that by adding to their numbers. Wednesdays. In the evenings, we have our Awana program. It's intergenerational. We have adults leading youth, although the adults, if they were honest, would probably tell you they're learning quite a bit too. Learning what? Scripture. Why? So that they can memorize it and hang on to it when stuff happens in their young life. Is there any more challenging lifestyle in our country today than being a preteen or a teenager? These people need the steadfast anchor of God's Word so that they can bring it to mind just like that. To help them when they're tempted. To help them in those troubled times. To help them when they feel like nobody else can help. After that, we have our student ministry. Again, adult-led for students. Those adults and students are forging strong relationships with one another. I see adults, I hear adults forging relationships with one another, and of course, the young people forging relationships as well. They're worshiping together, they're praying together, they're learning together, they're learning with one another and from one another. They're doing it in an environment of acceptance, of not being judged, of being accepted. They're doing it in a way, again, 
the Lord is blessing them by adding to their numbers. We've had so many of them come to our Lord and Savior in the last few months. It is a phenomenal occurrence. Maybe you will want to grow with them in that ministry. Thursdays in the morning, again in the evening, women's ministry, Bible study, fellowship, learning, prayer, praise, worship. I think they're hovering just below or just above 80 women. The Lord is sure adding to their numbers as they are continuing to be obedient to Christ's wishes. Thursdays is traditionally the time for the worship team come up here, but that worship team is hardly just a musical rehearsal where you go in and you play, play together, pack up, go home. No, they meet, they eat, they pray, they learn together. Sundays, we have opportunities to worship in truth and in spirit. 8 o'clock, 9.15, 11 o'clock. We've got discovery sessions, 9.15 and 11 o'clock. We have special needs ministries for adults. What a blessed ministry, blessed by great leadership. Periodically, our Sunday morning discovery sessions will deal with topics like how to be a godly parent, how to have a godly marriage, how to handle your money, In fact, we've got a Dave Ramsey session starting later this month, Financial Peace University. Let's not forget some of the most important people that really help us to create a culture of goodwill. Coffee bar. I I see you coming here in the morning. I know what's important. Ushers, greeters, the smiling face, the hi, I'm glad you're here. What can I do for you? Tell me that those initial small, meaning short in clock time, don't mean a great deal in creating a culture pleasing to Jesus. We have Stephen's ministers, highly specialized, highly trained people to come alongside and not to judge, but to support, to encourage, and to help those people in those trying times stay focused on Jesus. We have life groups that have been in existence for 30 years. We are starting new life groups later this month and in the month of November. Don't forget the Connections Ministry. I'm a part of that. Jeannie Gensler is a part of that. Shannon Livermore, Christine Anderson, Becky Lacey. We're here to help you go from perhaps feeling isolated and alone to finding a way to plug in, to begin growing in your church. We have meals that minister. We also have a a ministry that probably has the greatest finger on the spiritual pulse and the the spiritual and the physical pulse of of our church, and that's the prayer warriors. You notice that one of the first things out of Dr. Luke's mouth was that wonderful godly example includes active prayer life. Don't just share when things are bad. Share when things are good. Share when things are in between. Let the prayer warriors help you. The Bible is fairly clear that for a believer, probably the greatest power that we humans have as believers is the power of prayer. We often don't think so because we can't see it. We often don't see the results of it. And sometimes we don't even get the answer that we ask for, which is probably not the way we should have asked for it in the first place. But either way, we underestimate the power of prayer. 
and a church that pleases our Lord and our Savior, praise a lot. Praise honestly. I don't know if you've noticed, but somebody's been going a little hog wild with, you know, saws, hammers, paint. Things are being changed around here. I've sat, looked. There's no way that you can wield all of these dangerous instruments and not learn to grow with the people that you're doing it with. And then look at the projects, not just here on campus, but what we're attempting to do further in Houston. When we have that opportunity for a mission to be able to share the things we don't own with other people that don't own anything, I am convinced Jesus smiles when he sees that. He especially smiles when he sees that in our heart first. We have silver cords. We've got a group of people in a certain season of their life who, frankly, are the best examples of how to really show fellowship. We've got, as I said, meals administer. We've got people who have that wonderful heart for making every fellowship event sweet, and I mean literally sweet. Thank you so much for that. If that doesn't help perpetuate a culture of goodwill, nothing does. Each of our ministries here, and I've only touched on many of them. I apologize for those that I have forgotten about. But we strive to create Dr. Luke's description of a culture of goodwill. So that when you come to grow at your church, whether it's study, you're going to grow. If you're praying or learning to pray, you're you're going to grow. When you're building relationships, you're growing. When you are worshiping here together, you're growing. When you're worshiping the Lord 24-7 out there Monday through Saturday, you are growing. When you are sharing what you've been given with others that don't have, you are growing. And when you serve others, you are growing. And it doesn't matter if you're a follower or if you're one of the leaders or if you kind of exchange places every now and again. You're going to grow. And we're going to be blessed. But how, how can this happen? How can that happen for you and you and you? And you may be thinking, I'm only talking about the newbies, about those that are young in their faith. I'm not talking to just you. I'm talking to everybody. I'm talking to the oldest Christians in this room. You know why? Because we all stumble and fall periodically, don't we? In fact, a lot of us will tell you stories like, I, I fell for years. I was gone for years. There's a man that can help us. His name is Saul. Saul was a leader in the Jewish nation right around the time of Jesus. The Jewish nation is way different than the United States of America. The United States of America has a lot of separation of powers. You know, the most obvious is the separation between church and state. But it was just the opposite in the Jewish nation. If you were a leader in the Jewish nation, you were not just a religious leader, a spiritual leader. You were also a political leader. You were involved in government. You were involved in finances, in budget. You were involved in education. And you were involved in the social aspects of the Jewish nation. Can you imagine how these leaders had their finger in every pie possible? Their sphere of influence went from border to border. And you know who was one of the best 
of the best of these elite, highly educated Jewish leaders? Saul. He was an impressive guy. I'll bet he could probably recite every one of the over 600 regulations. Saul, what, what regulation is 512? Got it. He could probably recite scripture until it put us all to sleep. And with everything that Saul had accomplished, with all of the prestige that Saul had acquired, all of the strong leadership that he had garnered for himself, do you know what that got him? As far as his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is concerned? Zip, zero, nada. And you know why? Because Saul stopped short. He was satisfied with knowing about God. He knew probably more about God than any other human at that time. But he still stopped short. He was satisfied with just knowing a whole lot about God. That is, until, oh yeah, he took this trip to the city of Damascus. You know the story? He's on that road to Damascus and the, the Spirit of Christ comes to him, has a bone to pick with him. And so to get his attention, he sends a bright light on him, knocks him flat off his horse, on his face, on the road, blinds him. And then that, now that he's got his attention, Saul then begins to spend several days going from knowing a whole lot about God to knowing Jesus Christ personally. And you know what the effect of that was? It changed his life forever. I think I've heard that before. Saul changed his name to Paul. Saul was the pit bull for the Jewish nation the leadership who wanted Christians gone. Why? Because Christians are siphoning off our Jews from our nation. So we leaders are, we're losing our leadership. We're losing prestige. We're losing our power and influence. It probably translated also into financial uh, losses. And so the Pharisees, which was the name for some of those Jewish leaders, the Pharisees went to Saul and said, we want you to get rid of these Christians. Well, super Saul, super patriotic Saul, super loyal Saul said, consider it done. And he did it. And he did it very well. He hunted them down. He arrested them. He hauled them back. He threw them in prison. And even worse, he did all of those things to become an enemy of Jesus because he stopped short by only being satisfied with knowing about God and never going to the final goal of knowing Jesus personally. But when he did begin to know Jesus personally, it changed him forever. And not, now he wasn't the greatest enemy of the church, he was one of the greatest advocates of the church. He went from wanting to kill Christians to wanting to save Christians for eternity. What a dramatic difference. When you encounter Jesus, in a personal relationship, it'll change your life forever. So let's go to Romans 12, verse 2. Romans is a book written by Saul. I mean, Paul. Not the old man, but the new man. And when I read this, every time I read this, I, I'm thinking about his experience on that road to the city of Damascus. 
gives us three ways for us to be able to experience the same life-changing Christian growth. And he starts by saying this, don't copy the ways and the customs of this world. Don't copy the ways and customs of this world. I once had a student of mine who said to me, Palmer, I'm not buying this Christianity stuff. And I said, why? And he pointed out into the hallway and he says, look at those people, you can't tell the Christians from anybody else. Boy, I tell you what, I've obviously remembered that. That's, I don't know, 20-some years ago. It nailed me to the wall, mostly because he was right. Paul's doing the same thing. He starts by saying, do you look like everybody else? Do you sound like everybody else? Can people tell you? I know there's that great adage, if you were convicted, if you were arrested, would you be convicted? Would you be sentenced to jail for being a Christian? Or is there no evidence? So after he says, don't copy the ways of the world, he gives us something to fill that void because if you take out being like everybody else, that leaves a scary, gaping hole in your life. I think there are a lot of people that won't even get past the first step because they don't want to deal with that scary situation. Paul says, you know how you can fill that void? You have to let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. He's going to attack your mind. He's going to change your thinking. But you have to do something. You have to let God do it. Not you. That was the big mistake I used to make for years. I wanted to be a good person. I wanted to be a respectable person. I wanted to be somebody that people would look up to. I wanted to be somebody that people would, would, would not be able to, to level any criticism of. I wanted to be above reproach. You know that whole thing. I never got to the second step given here by Paul because you know who was defining what a good person was? Richard was. I was the one deciding what a good person does, what a good, good person is and when a good person does what they're supposed to do and where they're supposed to do it. Paul's been there. He knows. You can't, you can't do that. He's, he's saying, I spent my, most of my adult life not letting God. It was only when I got struck blind and was helpless that I let God. And when you let God, he'll transform your thinking which will transform your life forever. So those three steps, don't imitate the world's lifestyle. Number two, you've got to let God change you. Number three, if you can do one and two, then you're ripe and you're ready for number three because you will be, you'll be ready to hear how God works not the way you work. You'll be willing to change the way you think. And you will learn all of this. You will grow from God's Word. CBC is a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. They are changed by gathering and by growing. Ask yourself, as I've asked myself, preparing this message, am I like Saul 
Am I satisfied with just knowing about Jesus? Am, am I thinking that if I know more than somebody else, does that make me a better Christian? Knowing about God stops short. I ask myself, am I letting God transform me or do I get in the way? Do I have my own ideas about that? Or am I like Paul? Am I letting God do it? Am I building a relationship with Jesus to know Him? Am I sharing with others? Do I realize that I own nothing? Am I growing in my church? Because you see, it's pretty clear here that Dr. Luke says we are to grow. We are to grow together. And we are to grow together in the church so that we don't grow apart. This is not a race. For those of you that are super hyper competitive, this isn't a race. And for those of you that freak out when you take a test, it's not a test. It's an opportunity. It's a privilege to have this. It is an honor. We need to look at it for the truth that it is. And this opportunity comes to all of us equally to work together. Let's face it. Either we grow or we shrink. Nobody ever stays the same. God wants us to grow and grow together in His church so that we don't grow apart either from Him or from one another. Let's pray. Father, we gather here. We worship You. Help us to know what worship, true worship is. Lord, help us to build relationship with You and with one another in a way that pleases you. Help increase our prayer life, our connections with you. Help us to come to you more often and more honestly and openly. Help us to share all that we are and all that we have with one another in a way that, that brings excitement and contentment and praise and glory and honor to you. In other words, Lord, help us to create a culture that pleases you, that, that is one that you will add we can't do this alone. We can only do this through your help, through your spirit. So we ask for that guidance through the power of the Holy Spirit. Bless us as we continue. In your name, amen.